Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag. And I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right? I mean, no, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays a means floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get a mean in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Tom, what is your favorite mass-produced cracker on the consumer food market? I'm Team Triscuit. Mm. I love the crunch. It's a little messy, but um, I just devour those things, and I am a sucker for salt, Kevin, and it is very salty. I love a good Triscuit. The answer is the Keebler Club Cracker. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haverstrow. Tom, week two, World All-Stars, London, UK. Um, bombshell of an elimination. I think a really interesting structure to quick fire. 
Um, I, I, I really, I like this episode. In some ways, I thought this was kind of old school episode with sort of, you know, interesting brackets in the in the top half of the show, a, a challenge that had both a pitfall, but still sort of within the, the framework of, of, of what Top Chef does. Like, I, I, I liked I liked this week's episode. I really did too. And, uh, the quick fire was, I learned a lot of different new ingredients, which is kind of what you want on top chef is you watch, not just because of the competition and because of the, the excitement of the show, but also because it is a little education. You get to walk away with a couple notes about, um, you know, oyster leaves or, uh, kumquats or something about, um, you know, jackfruit that you didn't know. So this, this episode was really cool. And I really excited, Listeners, we have a guest on the show. Her name is Lorna Maseko from this episode of Top Chef. Uh, legend in in South Africa, uh, an alum, kind of part of the uh, Top Chef diaspora. Really excited to talk to her. Liked her presence at the judges' table. Um, but yeah, Tom, like a lot of interesting thing, like like yeast extract, kind of perfect substitute for salt, kind of kind of koji adjacent. Oyster leaves. Who knew oysters had leaves? Um, let, let's talk yeah, about what is the, an oyster leaf. Can we, I, I don't think I, I followed up on that. Like an oyster leaf. Is it like a legit, like a plant leaf? No, it's gotta be something. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I need to be schooled. The, it's not part of the oyster, right? Like it is, it is actually a green, but has this lovely shape, um, that I think oh. is sort of, uh, like, like look, makes it look like an oyster. So it is actually, uh, not, 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 not an oyster, but it is, it is a, it is a green that is indigenous to the British Isles. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. So, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. It's not like that little flap on the scallop when you like buy raw scallops. It's not that. That's what I thought it was. And it's not. Uh, I did not know oysters have leaves and they don't. But um, there's a plant that has a oyster like leaf, which is what we experienced. Um, I, I really like Tom, like the kind of the, the three ingredients and then put teams in, in pods of five. I like brackets in general. And I like that it was sort of it was it was five mini quick fire challenges which to me kind of is is perfect top chef programming because it increased the stakes right like there were actually we got to see five quick fires within the framework of one and so there were more winners more losers more middle you know it's like it really works so wanted to get your impressions because hey we had our first didn't get the the, the food on, on on the plate in time yep. which is a big deal that's always a big deal on top chef it can be a canary in the coal mine is this is this a contestant that does not have time management skills. Uh, and in this case, it is quite possibly one of the most talented uh, chef testants on the board right now. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, you're talking about Begonia here, Chef Begonia, um, who, when I posted on our Instagram, if you want to follow us on Instagram, it's at Pack Your Knives. Um, I posted a poll about who is your number one pick. And it was almost split 50-50, Kevin, between Buddha and Begonia. She is coming in with the Michelin star. She's coming in with a lot on her resume. And it seemed like right out the gate that she was a favorite to win this whole thing and stumbles with this quick fire because she forgot, or, or I guess she didn't forget. She just ran out of time with her top and moose. Um, when you thought that this, this chef was going to be on the fast track to dominance. And we saw a stumbling out of the gate here with time management, which is a, is a red flag, Kevin. I was not happy to see that from my number two pick on my team. I had Ali with my first pick um, in the draft from last week. If you haven't listened, go check that out. But I did love this quick fire that the whole setup of like, you go choose your ingredient. 
but you're going to have some, some curveballs thrown in with, with these teammates. And, you know, in, in the past we might have like team blue, team green, team red to kind of figure out which team is which, but we didn't need that conceit. It, it, we're all learning these chef testings from the get-go. So I'm actually, um, I'm really pleased with how this works. And I thought it was a seamless, um, uh, uh a quick fire here with our, our guest chef, Santiago Lastra. Um, and the little like powwow that they do in the back is nice and dramatic because it felt very like, you don't know what's going to happen. And then they come out and present the winner. So it was, uh, it, I really like this quick fire, Kevin. Yeah, just from a uh, food dork standpoint, really fun combinations. And one of the things I still just love about Top Chef is like, how do they pull this off, right? Like, yeah. I, how do, are they going to pull this off? Is still for me the item of maximum expense, uh, suspense on the show. So when you so throw someone wasabi capers and plantains, it's like, well, I mean, what the hell are they going to do with that? And the answer is, oh, but yeah. In the winning dish, in, in terms of Dale, it was use the plantains as sort of a breading, you know, a plantain fried cod. And then you have, yep. you know, wasabi caper actually kind of does very well to go, kind of an olive spice. I mean, it, it, it's nice. I mean, same thing with the yeast extract. Ugh, yeast extract sounds nasty. Um, but it's a lovely salt substitute and kind of can function as, a, as almost a koji. Hibiscus is bright. Comquat is... You know, it's got some tartness. Boom, you do that. And and so I just really love – by the way, Tom, Anna, not to crow, but did you notice that all five winners of the of their quick-fire pods were all Team Kevin? I have it written here at the top, K-A swept Q-F. I, I was very, very pleased with this outcome. Um, it, as they as they kept naming them, I was like, wait, I think that's Team Kevin. Oh, no, that's Team Kevin again. Wait, did he just sweep this whole thing? And sure enough, Nicole, Tom, Dale, Mail, and Gabri, they won their, their pods. And look um, – you know, I know this was a uh, a product placement for for Ritz crackers. I I love a good Ritz cracker on the on the um, on the charcuterie board or what have you. But you do need a lot of topping on a Ritz cracker because it is a pretty thick um, on the drier side cracker. So this lends itself to a nice plate for these dishes and one bite um, dishes. And so I I do think that some of these were actually over. Uh, topped, you know, like some of them just seemed like it was too big of a bite. And I think Padma had mentioned that at some point, but the real winner here is May who did the spicy kumquat dish, um, went yeasty, uh, extract and the hibiscus. I actually thought that might've been the toughest trio for me, like of the ingredients, mm -hmm. Kevin, I thought the easiest might've been the horseradish, guajillo peppers, and the goat cheese. Just thought that Good that call. had the biggest, um, broadest menu and, and more like straightforward, but that also Kevin in top chef world, that ease of difficulty might actually work to your disadvantage where the fact that may put together this dish so well with, I think a, a difficult menu, uh, actually, you know, played to her advantage. Yeah, totally. I had, um, I had my, uh, I had that as the is the hot, it's the highest degree of difficulty. With the easiest being, as you said, horseradish, guajillo, pepper, goji, which just naturally goes together. Um, I mean, the jackfruit, tamarind, caviar cream kind of threw me off as a little bit as well. And that, yeah. that was sort of a, a, a tough. Second. Um, I just want to kind of run through the five winning dishes, and then May, um, who, who's all, all of a sudden for me already becoming a great story. Um, you know, I mentioned her last week as my bet, my, my dark horse, and I'm doubling down on that because I'm just so yep. excited about her performance this week. Dale had his plantain fried cod wasabi caprioli. I'm I'm all in on Dale. Uh, May, as you said, I mean, coming out with a, a spicy kumquat jam with hibiscus juice and again yeast extract is just essentially kind of a salt additive, but kind of you know, weird to work with as a substance. Um, Tom did well. 
Uh, Tom looks like kind of Mr. Technicality here on on, on this season. Um, he did shrimp cocktail. I loved how he said it my way um, with avocado, mm. roulade, oyster leaf, and uh, a batarga persalade, which is really smart, right? But batarga is really salty. You kind of with a persalade, you get the parsley in there, you moderate it. Like clearly a really smart chef. Um, Gabri is showing us a lot. We'll talk about him later, obviously. Um, he comes in with his uh, Mexican-style jackfruit with a caviar paste and tamarind butter, which was called elegant and sweet and tart. This guy who's throwing water into the pots of competitors last week looks like an abject incompetent. All of a sudden was basically kind of kind of the winner of the week, uh, quite literally. Yeah, then- I mean, you look at his dishes, uh, he and May – Start, from start to finish, um, they were wire to wire. Yeah. Uh, Gabri really impressed me. The jackfruit a la Mexicana, um, a bounce back week for him. I actually picked someone in Last Chance Kitchen who lost the first episode over Gabri in the draft, which is uh, unconventional to say the least, and is biting me in the tuchus, as Kevin would say. Tuchus. And I am just. <laughs> you need more guttural. Tuchus. 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 Okay. Okay. In the tuchis, tuchis. Okay. In the tuchis, Gabri is hitting, you know, hitting me where it hurts, Kevin. And I'm not happy about this from a fantasy standpoint, but from a story standpoint, it's always good to have that underdog coming through right out of the gate and saying, that's not who I am in the episode one. I'm, I deserve to be here. And in this episode, uh, he could have won that, that first quick fire and may what, what struck me about may is almost that Gregory Gorday, um, mm-hmm. kind of the, I need a little spice. Mm-hmm. I need a little mm-hmm. salt. I need the acid. Um, and that's what she hit here is I think they were blown away by the spiciness of her dish, but also just, you got the hibiscus and the kumquat. It seemed like a very G- chef Gregory, uh, component right there. Yeah. We've talked about his capacity to build a dish from kind of component parts. And, and I think she does, it's a great call, like on the comp. I also want to bring up Nicole because, you know, I mentioned Nicole, I went a little higher on my board than it might've been uh, otherwise thought just because she had such a dominant run in an all-star season in Canada. And she won her pod with her grilled bavette, goat cheese, horseradish, black garlic jam, salsa matcha, by the way, yum. I mean, clearly mm-hmm. somebody else who knows how to kind of present and, and actually, and we'll talk a little bit about her main, um, her, her main dish in the elimination challenge, which I just love the idea conceptually, uh, of furikake rice with a, neg- a negitoro. Also my favorite role as well. And, um, and, you know, Lorna had mentioned who we'll speak to later that the ratio of rice to, to, to protein was a little off, but still like, I'm feeling really good about Nicole. I mean, one of the things that just from a competitive standpoint with you is I am feeling really, really good about my team right now. Um, with one obvious exception, and we'll talk about Dawn and her elimination, um, a, a little later and just actually uh, Pursuant to what you just said about Chef Gregory, I mean, to me, that was kind of Dawn's lane, and we just haven't seen it this season, and we will talk a little bit more about that. She just has been off her game from the beginning, choosing to do a pastry for a veg-forward dish, choosing to do, you know, making kanji from the least kanji-friendly rice grain you can imagine, um, just really, really, really um, just uh, kind of on tilt and, and, and not doing well. Uh, but I really love this. Uh, I, I love this elimination challenge. I love the wacko ingredients. I love that we've got to see five. I mean, again, just a great way when you have a lot of contestants. Like, like bravo to the bravo Top Chef producers because, <laughs> because like, yeah, like, like 15 is a lot. 
you got to cover a lot of ground, and it can get really tedious. It is hard to construct reality show um, challenges with too many contestants, right? It gets really tedious. So what do you do? You basically give us five in one, which is just great value from a viewer standpoint. So again, just real, uh, just a, a lot of cheers for 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 the staff this week. Um, I mean, any other? I, I kind of want to. Any other impressions in terms of your roster? Um, you know, before we bring Lorna in, I, I just want to say, like, um, you know, I, I kind of there aren't a lot of weak links here. No, I mean, I, I've got one. I'm not. I'm not really big in Sylvia Land right now, and she's the only of my kind of roster spots I'm sort of out on, just because I've never really liked the. Oh, I'm from X. We don't do major like carbohydrate that essentially. 85% of the world subsists off of, which is what <laughs> Sylvia pulled this week with the, hey, she had the rice elimination challenge. We do potatoes in Poland. Come on, don't give me the, I don't do rice because I'm from Eastern Europe. For those who are catching up right now, uh, we did a draft last week. Your team, Kevin, is Buddha, Tom, Dale, Nicole, Dawn, Sylvia, May, Gabri. And then on my team, I got Begonia, Ali, Charbel, Luciana, Sarah, Amar, Victoire, <laughs> And Samuel. And uh, just a heads up, we will be recapping The Last Chance Kitchen every week, but a week behind. So we have not seen The Last Chance Kitchen episode with Dawn, spoiler alert, um, and Samuel. But we will be talking about that Last Chance Kitchen episode, which we'd love the digital episodes that you can find on Bravo.com. and with with uh, Tom Calicchio, we will be recapping those next week uh, for those who are joining us for the first time. And look, my team right now, um, I am thrilled with Ali's performance in this episode because, yeah, he was a little bit of a, a social media play for me, Ali coming in as a <laughs> bona fide star. But he delivered big time and he won this challenge, the elimination challenge. And we'll talk about that with Lorna Um, and Begonia. I'm a, I'm a little concerned that someone from a Michelin star chef might have a difficulty and getting the, uh, the actual uh, constraints of top chef performing at the level, but we know that she's already done well on top chef. So that eases my concerns. And Kevin throughout this first episode or the first a uh, couple episodes here, I am struck by how good they all are. Like the dishes Tom Calicchio said in the very, in the premiere of like, this is perhaps the best season we've ever had for our first episode. Like this episode too, um, really cashed in. I mean, they, they are performing at a high level on the all-star level. And I kept, um, I kept being in awe of their dishes, Kevin. And sometimes we want tension. We want conflict. We want, you know, that, that struggle. We want to see them falling in the in the in the quick fire or or uh, spilling a whole pot of water in someone else we want that drama but in this one i actually wasn't feeling that uh i I wasn't like yearning for more drama i actually just thought this was a really well done episode um and a really good performance from everyone in the quick fire the begonia um mistake was the only one that i could really point to in the quick fire with 15 dishes 14 really hit the mark yeah. Uh, one thing we do want to discuss before Lorna comes on, because she obviously wasn't behind the scenes in the prep day, is we had another little uh, bit of static in the kitchen where Luciana uh, from Team Tom was boiling her eggs. Yeah. And, came, and by the way, probably at least in, in the first 107 minutes of, of Top Chef season 20, probably the most affable Tiggerish, just kind of happy-go-lucky contestant. All of a sudden, did not have her. 
beast mode, and it turns out, of all people, um, Dawn and Amar had, like, and again, I, I'm trying to still figure out what exactly happened, but apparently moved her pots. Now, it might have been that, what, she was using the space to soak the, I, I don't know look, what happened, but it looked like, and, and they kind of looked guilty. Oh, yeah, sorry, didn't know. What, didn't know you moved some other chef's stuff? You kind of know. Kevin, Kevin, we had a players-only meeting on Team Tom. Uh, we had a players-only meeting after the show where Amar and Luciana, and we, we, we talked it out, okay? The coaches were out of the room. I was not there. I was not present. But I'm glad to see that my players decided to have this, you know, um, water-under-the-bridge moment. No, I think what happened was Amar did the right thing, which he announced to the group, like, hey, I need these, th these spaces. Whose pots are these? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? And no one said anything. Luciani did not say anything. And so I get both sides of this is like Amar and Don needed those, that space. They announced it to the world um, that, Hey, uh, heads up. We're going to take these. If no one claims them. And then Luciana, I guess was too busy or wasn't listening. Their language barrier, maybe just wasn't paying attention. And she uh, flipped the lid. I get it. Why she would be upset, but you know what? She moved on and she competed at a high level. Um, the rest of the way didn't really uh, execute the dishes she wanted from the rice standpoint, which is upsetting as someone who lived in Brazil and ate rice and beans, black beans every day, three, t three times a day in Sao Paulo. Uh, Jose Feijão was my, it, it was every, like, I think I was two thirds a Jose Feijão when I was four years old in Brazil. <laughs> and so for her to, to do a mistake on the rice dish, I'm giving her a little bit of a pass here because of that, that mishap with Amar. Yeah. But Kevin, yeah, that, that would be my verdict is, is I, I need to know more about the conflict. Like if the eggs were boiling, that is a capital crime. If she was just using valuable states for a pot of eggs um, and they were just relocated, uh, that is actually not a capital crime. And you're kind of being a hazer if you're using valuable space just to basically station your eggs while – you kind Does of a hazer have a tuchus? Yes. Same, 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 same consonant. Same. Okay. The, the C, what we, the CH, which is a chet. Um, so, so okay. you are being a hazer if you are using valuable counter space just to kind of park some eggs that are going to be peeled at a later date, right? If two active chefs need the stuff. So now the way you explain it, like I need, I need a little more. One thing that the show could have done a little more is kind of just at least spelled out because you want to know who's in the right and who's in the wrong, right? Anytime there is friction and there's less friction on the show than there used to be, um, you want to know, you kind of want to know, uh, you know, it's like, who's the asshole? Mm -hmm. Is it, you know, you kind of want to know and, and we don't fully know. Um, and, uh, maybe later in the season we can, uh, we can, we will, we'll get one of these, uh, one of these players in, 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 in our conversation and we can ask them, but uh, it didn't, as you said, didn't seem like a major, major blow up though. She did for a few short minutes, definitely go into beast mode. So you got, uh, you got 20 points this week and we will talk to Lorna here in a second. Um, you had. You had 20 points this week from, uh, of course, a really good showing from May, uh, finishing in the in the top three in the Elimination Challenge and winning the Quickfire Challenge. Um, but I also had 20 points, and we will have a tiebreaker with the Last Chance Kitchen, Dawn versus my chef, Samwell. 
Um, but of course, Ali coming out with an elimination challenge victory and Luciana uh, coming in with zero points for those who are scoring at home. Um, it is 10 for a elimination challenge win five for a top three finish. If you're in the middle, neither the top or the bottom Goldilocks style, you are two points bottom three, you get zero points. And if you're eliminated minus five at the quick fire, we also allocate some points. Uh, the winner of quick fire gets three and the top three finisher, or in this case, there was a top five, uh, each get one point. So it comes out to 20 versus 20 and Kevin, I'm excited because last year I got blown out in the opening gates of the of the season. And here we have a head to head matchup that you have a really strong roster, but I am right there with you. Yeah. And it, actually, to, to speak of the quality of the competition, to me, the bellwethers Buddha, right? Here's Buddha coming off as a defending and champion. He's my number one pick. I mean, I think we all have recognized his brilliance. And he has not misexecuted anything. He has not made any mistakes in judgment, in preparation, in presentation. And he's just bumping along, middle of the pack, right? Like, executes what 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 is apparently just a delicious succulent Hennessy chicken rice, one of my favorite dishes. Uh, I love Singapore-style Hennessy chicken rice. You know, gets a middle. You know, does his thing yep. in the quick fire. Doesn't win his pod, right? Like, like to me, Buddha's an interesting bellwether in a guy that it's not like, oh, he's not up to his game. No, Buddha's being what Buddha is. You know, one of the best chefs in the competition. And, oh, by the way, he's not really winning anything yet. Now, it's early, obviously, but I think uh, that's not a, intended as a critique of Buddha. It's, an in it's intended as an expression of confidence in the field overall that, like, you can do great stuff. I mean, the number of really great dishes, and we'll talk about this with Lorna in, in just a second— in that elimination challenge that didn't make the top three, right? Like, like it, it seemed like the median dish was really, really good, Tom. The seventh best dish last night was particularly good. And that that's sort of that was blowing me away is just that, you know, that the, the Dales of the world, the, you know, the kanji, eh, no top three finish. And, and that to me is, is quite a statement on the quality of the competition. That's what you want to see with Top Chef All-Stars, right? World All-Stars. This is the Olympics of Top Chef. So I'm excited um, to bring on Lorna. Let's not wait any further. Without further ado, Lorna Maseko from South Africa. Let's go. super excited to welcome in our first guest of this pack your knives season top chef 20 world all-stars the host of top chef south africa um also a former professional ballerina there is such a cool story of this uh also guest judge of this second episode this season lorna maseko thank you so much for joining us here thank you so much for having me i'm so excited so you are w watching this episode. You, you, you obviously, I mean, this is, this has got to be what up on the, the Mount Olympus of culinary experiences for you is, is guest hosting, being the guest judge on top chef. How cool was that? That was pretty insane. I think it was a complete kind of 360 moment because obviously having been the host of Top Chef South Africa and then being asked to be, you know, a guest judge on this season was pretty amazing. Um, it kind of like feels like you just came to 
to should I say grand grandparents, but the coolest grandparents. You know what I mean? Like you start <laughs> with your parents, and then like you're just like with with the iconic like team. So that was that was amazing to meet Gail and Padma uh, and the rest of the judges. It, it was really really you know amazing. Um, it, yeah, it is it is an enormous extended family now. Um, just kind of watching Top Chef over the last twenty years, and, and what's very cool about it is it is just it is truly global. Yeah. Um, the fact there are essentially. Uh, you know, top 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 chef correspondents in in Johannesburg and in London yeah. and in, in Bangkok and Singapore. It, it's just, um, it is it is probably the most wide ranging diaspora in television. Not just like television competition, like television. Period. Like CNN does not have that many correspondents. <laughs> I think that's what makes it exciting, and that's what is so beautiful about food is that it it's able to connect us from different parts of the world, and there's a synergy that we'd like to put in our in our mouths and enjoy. And so to to have this insane kind of brand called Top Chef kind of have a presence in each part of the world just says a phenomenal thing about food and how food is able to connect us. And then they just kind of like flipped it over and included everyone else, which is just phenomenal. So, so Lorna, let, let's go straight behind the scenes. You're go, you're on a plane, you're going to London. Do you know what you're going for or what the challenge is? Like, take us through your experience on doing a guest judge on Top Chef. So I definitely didn't know what the challenges were. I wasn't sure who the contestants were. Um, I think I okay. Let me let's let's track back a little bit. So got onto the plane. It's a long way to London, but it's not as long as coming to the US. I could tell you that. So I'm I'm kind of getting used to the London stretch, but the US one I'm kind of getting used to. Um, and then um, got to set, got my makeup done, and then you kind of see who the contestants are. And obviously, because we don't get to see all of Top Chef from around the world, you kind of know some, not know them, but you you recognize faces. Let me rather say that you recognize faces, and then um, and then you know you get given kind of like this is what they're going to do today. So these are the things. Not even these are the things we're looking for, but you know, good luck and have fun. And so you go on and uh, it's lights, camera, action. And as they say, the rest is history. In terms of this particular challenge, right? Like, so so it could be anything, you get rice. Um, we will have a conversation in a few minutes about your jollof rice and and, and, the, and the wonders of shito and red palm oil in a, in a second. Lovely. I'm going to set that aside. Um, <laughs> uh, so I was actually just mentioning this to Tom is, I thought, you know, you have to declare a top three. You have to declare a bottom three. I mean, what was amazing about this particular episode, and I just kind of want to hear kind of your do's and don'ts of judging, especially since you're in the company of kind of the, the show regulars who, you know, have really strong opinions, is it seemed like there were eight or nine dishes that could have conceivably been a top three dish. Like like the fact that Dale's kanji you guys loved, but hey, didn't make the top three. That's cool. I mean, yeah. um, there were so many dishes. Um, I mean, people seem to like, you know, Tom's uh, Sri Lankan lamb biryani. You know, I I'm a huge Hannity's <laughs> chicken rice Singapore style okay. fan. And like, you know, his chicken was succulent, but it didn't make the time. Like, I'm just curious. Um, and also begonias, who's, I, I want to ask you about begonias, lemon rice beets, pickled ginger and seaweed. I know it was like five months ago. So you right. don't remember the bite, but it was just like, how do you, how do you kind of cull the menu? First of all, how do you eat 15 dishes and not intuitively like feel like the last, the 14th dish you're just too full to enjoy is the first question. <laughs> I think because you're working with some of the 20 top chefs from around the world, each bite is unique and very different to their personalities, to their history, to their cultures, which made it absolutely 
different and every bite just excited your palate in a different way. And so it, you know, for me, I always say like, I love to eat Michelin, but I don't, I don't cook Michelin food just, but I love that excitement of my palate experiencing different things. And so to have been able to experience rice or congee in 20 different ways in tw- with 20 different personalities and characters include heritage include culture include background was just absolutely amazing and i think that's what makes a season super special because i don't think you'll get it in any other way i hope i mean i don't know what they have planned for 20 what season 21 hopefully i'm sure they've got something even more exciting but i think that's what made this season so unique is that that's why each bite and it was 20 different bowls that we tasted and it, and they were they were all delicious and unique in their own simple way but i think that the exciting part where you don't get bored you're like oh this is from sri lanka oh this has a mm. like an asian twist oh this you know this chef is from italy so they've added their flavor to it which i don't think you would traditionally get usually and so i think that's what made it like super insane and super amazing what was your first moment where you realize, oh, this isn't Top Chef South Africa. This is different. This is either format of the show or the style. But what moment did it hit you like, oh, this is a little bit different. This is exciting. When Padma was like, Lorna Maseko from Top Chef South Africa. I was like, God damn. Okay. (laughs) We're no longer on the African continent. We're in London, kids. And I guess it's, it's a little bit different. I mean, in terms of like the cameras, there's a whole lot. It's a bigger crew. It's a bigger beast, you know, um, and it's a beast I really enjoyed kind of playing with. It was fun. Um, did you, what was among, and again, allowing for the fact that this taped months ago, Yeah. what was your favorite all right. And if you're at liberty to say, and, and, and it's like, we're not allowed to go too far behind the curtain, but like, what was your winning dish of the 15? Like, what was I'll your vote? I'll tell you now. It was, I'm looking at the Oh, she's got list. notes here. Oh, this you is got great. your notes. This no, is great. No, it's not notes. I'm looking at faces and I'm online. So I'm trying to figure well, out. Hey, was- you did say that Sarah had a banger of a dish and that she didn't even finish in the top three, but she's on my team. I drafted Sarah with the uh, everything bagel, basically. Um, I love did- that. Oh, yeah, the, the blocks bagel take with I the love everything that. rice And crispy. then I love that Arabic. It was, I think he's from Morocco, like but North Africa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Ali won. Yeah, you said it, you knocked it out of the park, which I think is a baseball metaphor, but I don't know in South Africa, knock it out of the park. Is that we, we say we say we say knock it out of the park. We say knock knock it out of okay. the park as well. It was you just mentioned his name. He did like it was kind of like a very he, I think he's he's from uh, North Africa, top chef. Moroccan dish. It was uh the lamb Uzi, maybe from Ooh, Chef Ali. Oh my. The, the smoked rice. It was oh, oh, my gosh, charcoal. That, was insane and mind you that was i think we ate that like after eating like about 15 of those so for something like that to stand out at that point when you're just feeling like i've had a lot of country today Mm -hmm. (laughs) was Mm -hmm. just phenomenal it just hit every sensory bit of palate in my mouth it was just absolutely incredible like it was smoky it was sweet it was umami it was crunchy the la- I, I'm I think he had lamb in the dish I could be wrong but yes, I think yes. it was, yeah and I'm a huge lover of lamb South Africans love lamb so the way he balanced everything together and it had some yogurt as well which gave it that creaminess it was it was gorgeous I loved it 
I was, I, you know, it was, it's funny because you're like, Kevin's like, I don't know if you'll even remember that bite, but that bite I remember. And it was like months ago. So that bite is, was definitely amazing. Well, so what is the deliberation like when, when after the 15 dishes are served and the, uh, the judges go back to the proverbial chambers, um, you know, it's, it's Gail and, and, and Tom and you and, and, and obviously Padma. Like what, how do they come up with their, I'm always, process is actually kind of fun. It's the part we don't, we see snippets of the conversation, yeah. but we don't actually see the conversation. Like, what is that process? Like, it, I can't imagine it's contentious. These people have been doing it for 20 years, but I do yeah. imagine strong opinions can, uh, I mean, food is one of those things. It is quite subjective in many ways. And yeah. I'm just curious how, like, how, how, how all the opinions are aggregated and, and determined. Well, I think like everybody has, an opinion, which is important and has mm -hmm. a, the opinions are respected. And so I think from that perspective, you know, you, you definitely know that it's, it's credible to, you know, to whoever else, whoever else is listening. But I think, you know, Tom has a great opinion about how, you know, and, and, and the thing is, you know, food is subjective. How I grew up and what I ate is definitely going to govern how I taste something. We could both go to a Michelin star restaurant or have 20 little bowls of congee and have 20 different opinions, right? And I think, you know, when you put us all together and everyone kind of, there were certain dishes that you felt like, okay, we all knew, okay, this was really a great dish. You know, yeah. it, it was synonymous. Like everyone kind of had the same opinion about that dish. And then there were some dishes where someone would go, oh, well, you know, I did think it was X, Y, Z, but I actually enjoyed this about the dish. And then you like, took another bite and you're like, hmm, okay, I never really picked that up, but okay, cool, you know? Um, and um, and yeah, I think, I think the process is authentic. And so you have great minds. I don't want to say thinking alike because everyone's opinionated in a different way, but add, that, that adds to just the credibility of, of what you're hearing about each dish. You said that um, Gabri's dish, which was the uh, the fifty four ingredient mole, um, that he just he just it was an incredible dish, a high level of difficulty. He pulled it off, and he really struggled in the first episode of Top Chef, um, Lorna. But on this one, he just he just did a great job, and you described it as a hug in a bowl. Um, as someone who you know, might not have grown up with Mexican flavors like that. Um, what was that dish like for you? And it, it didn't seem like the most texturally um, interesting dish, but it mm. seemed like the flowers, I mean, the flavors just really popped. He put a lot into that dish. I think, I don't even know, I couldn't, I stopped counting at how many kind of ingredients he put in there. But 54. he found such... Oh my goodness, no wonder. That's a, it's a kind of a funny thing. I think the like, station I... was a mess as well, wasn't it? Yeah, mole is funny in, in living here in Los Angeles. Like, like <laughs> the number of things in a mole is a big thing for a Mexican chef and a Oaxaca, particularly Oaxacan chefs, right? Like, right. like it's like like thirty eight. No, I have fifty four. I got one hundred and seventeen. Right? Like, it's like they they're very into it, it. It's the sheer amalgamation of like all of those substances that makes the depth of the mole. So, like, they get very. It's like there's no other 
food in the world where I know that like where chefs are more into the counting the number of things in it. Right. <laughs> and I actually thought he was screwed. Like I'm watching him in the Whole Foods. Risotto. I'm like, He's I'm like, doing this risotto is a, with 54 you, <laughs> right? you need 17 right? days to do mole. You need 54 things. Like you're not gonna have enough money. You're not gonna have enough time. I thought he was an idiot for doing it. Just like watching him as a fan. And then obviously he pulls it off beautifully. And yeah. look, there's nothing better than like deep mole negro from Oaxaca. But like, it was just, um, that's a, kind of the funny thing about mole is just like the, the obsession on the number of items. There's no other dish in the world like that. And you know what? And he found such a beautiful way of finessing that dish and making it beautiful because sometimes you can use a hundred and whatever ingredients and you literally have just, you know, it's a mess basically, you know, yes. because you're just trying to overpower so many things. But I think that just makes him quite unique and quite special that he's able to take that many ingredients and balance them so well. And it still is the perfect bite in your mouth. And you don't feel overwhelmed. You don't feel that it was too bitter or too sweet or too salty. It just holistically comes together in a glorious way. What One of the really cool things about being a guest judge on Top Chef is, um, you get to kind of go into the kitchen and watch them prepare with Tom. And so you're going in with Tom, who's uh, terrifying for chefs to have to cook while answering questions from Tom. And he has this poker face of like, oh, interesting decision. Um, what was your approach to going into the kitchen and meeting the chefs and seeing what they're cooking? And do you remember anything specifically about Tom, you know, being alongside him as he's asking these questions? I think it's like you've hit it on the nail just because they're trying to get things done as quickly as possible. It's a television show, so you need to speak and say something. Um, his rapport is incredible. And so th they were frantic, you know, and I think they captured that really well on camera. Like, it's 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 not easy just because and, and you're dealing with time right and it and time's not waiting for nobody and so you're trying to rush this this dish and make it absolutely amazing sexy delicious hit all those notes you're trying to be entertaining i guess you're putting on a show not putting on a show but you know you need to answer questions that tom has he's super calm he may see you completely messing up so he can't even say like i don't think this is gonna work but he may hint. And then because like I think chefs are really analytical and they like live in their heads quite a bit, he could just say one thing that could throw you off completely. And yes. then you starting to think like, oh, maybe I should change the dish. Is it really going to work? That's just put me off, you know? So um, there's a lot going on. And then you have like something like, I don't know, 10 cameras on you at the same time. It's it's a lot, okay? It's it's a lot. Were you cheering them on? Like was Tom being kind of the, the good cop, bad cop and you were like, oh, I really love that idea. Or were you also like, oh, interesting choice there? I had some like interesting choice moments, but I was just, I think part of just being like, oh my God, I'm on Top Chef 20. And oh my gosh, that's the food. <laughs> okay, you know, like, look at what they're doing. I think it was like a mix of different things for me, but excitement nonetheless. And, you know, to see these chefs just really give it their heart and soul and just put everything on the table is just always just so humbling to to think someone would be able to do that in a competition of this caliber. So, so yeah. Because um, when when Gabri goes and decides to do a fifty four ingredient uh, risotto, in that moment you're probably hearing him being like, "Oh, good luck with that," and then he pulls it all together. And so that that journey of seeing him preparing yeah. it and then it comes out on the plate that must be really enriching. But Kevin, there's a lot of dishes we got to get through here. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, and I again, I, Lauren, I don't know how many of you remember specifically. I was sort of, um, I, I have a huge um, crush on Bogonia's palate and preparation and everything. And I saw right. that that lemon rice with beets and pickled ginger. Um, I, I think uh, Tom said something along the lines that it was from outer space. And I and I love those kinds of dishes. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that you remember that, but I just, I, I kind of really sort of have already loved, come to love her cuisine. I'm just curious what you thought of that dish. It did not make the top three, but I just thought it looked fantastic. And I love beets too, so. I love beets. The lemon flavor was incredible. Um, I, I think just balance, right? That's what you want from a good dish. Just a balanced dish that hits you at every part of your palate. And if you can get that with one bite, you're you're pretty much a happy camper. Have you have you had you met Padma, Tom, or Begonia, no. or any of the chefs before? So Not this is at all. It was my first. It was my first time. So it was it was pretty cool to kind of meet the the big top chef family. Yeah, because I'd imagine um, you might have like a scouting report in your head of like, oh, I think I know that face. Uh, Chef Begonia coming in here with a Michelin star already to her name and winning wow. uh, or being a finalist in her Top Chef competition. So I guess you, you aren't starstruck uh, too much by the chefs presenting their food. In the case of Begonia, I, I feel like she does have um, a little bit of a, a background coming in there. And that dish... Kevin, you're right. Like when when it was presented, I was like, "Ooh, I don't know how this is going to land." And then the the chefs just absolutely loved it. The judges' table loved her dish, and it didn't even finish into the top three. And then we we got to talk about May's dish. May came in with a dessert, Kevin, a dessert yeah. which is kind of what you do with immunity. I don't know if you knew that at the time, um, Lorna, but she had one with immunity that she won the quick fire. And so if it if it if it flops, it flops. If she wins, great. And it did land. This one, the um, the dessert that with the Thai rice pudding, um, it is, you know, it is one of those dishes that uh, it was a high risk, high reward move. That was a really, really good dish. Like I was surprised. I'd never had anything like that before. And it was, it was just, and it wasn't too sweet, right? I don't have a massive sweet tooth. And so like, I like my desserts a little savory with a slight saltiness to them. I just, you know, don't, don't take up the, don't take up the sweet, the sugar too much for me. And it was really, really incredible. And I love the, the whole idea of her mom and what an impact her mom has had. That was so emotional. Like, you know, when you're just like trying to keep the lashes on, don't cry too much, sis. I have that problem <laughs> too, know? yeah. Uh, yep. But that was really, really touching. And, and I think for me, that says a lot about food. It's such an emotional thing. It's such a heart thing. And uh, to be able to then cook and then and put your heart on the sleeve and, and you kind of hope people like it. Right. And it and it's also personal. Right. And you kind of feel touched when someone is like, oh, you know, even if you were making scrambled eggs and someone was like, I didn't like that. Or I have a daughter who like if she doesn't like something that I've cooked, you just feel so like excuse me, they're people who eat my food and they like it, <laughs> you know? And so to have, to, to put your heart on the sleeve and it actually becomes something really good and, 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 and it touches people and, and people are moved by it. It just makes it so special. Um, I, I do want to get you on some uh, other fun stuff. I saw on your uh, Instagram, you recently had an event with with Bill Clinton, who I think is actually a fascinating food figure because, uh, and I don't know how much you know about his history, but like when he was first kind of running as a national candidate in the U.S. Like he was known, and I don't think I'm being uncharitable, he'll, is a glutton. Like he was a guy obsessed with fast food, drive through every, he wanted to go to every barbecue on the political circuit, fried wow. catfish. Like he was, and he was, no, he was a notorious overeater and had like heart issues and whatever else. The dude goes vegan um, several <laughs> years ago. And I don't know, like, 
Um, and apparently still is. And, and actually, I mean, you can see he's he, I mean, he's a fraction of the weight he was um, at, at his heaviest. But um, I'm just curious, like, wait, what was the occasion? Um, the guy is notoriously affable, like in terms of just making human like he'll, he meets you in three minutes later. He's your best friend. And I'm just curious, like like in terms of both the food component and just sort of the, the cult of personality component, like what were your impressions of of, of, of Bubba Clinton? Exactly what you just said, Kevin. He was like, you know, I come to South Africa a lot. He was telling me about Nelson Mandela. It felt like I was meeting like a friend that I've, and it, it sounds wild to say this about a president, right? It felt like I was meeting someone who'd known my entire life story by just knowing bits about my country. And I think that says a lot about him as a person, that he's able to interact with you for like two minutes. And it feels like you've had a conversation for 20 and he knows so much about South Africa, about Desmond Tutu and, and the struggle that South Africa has gone through, through apartheid. And, you know, and yeah, he just, he just made me feel really, really comfortable, which did was you, super cool. Did you eat with him? I was wish. There any, no, there was no food at Kamani. By the way, what is your, what, um, what is your favorite food city in Africa? Out And let's throw Johannesburg off to the side because that's its own thing. Like, what is your favorite food city? In, in, in South Africa? In, no, uh, in all Africa. of Africa. In all of Africa? Oh, man. Okay, so Cape Town has an incredible food scene. I had one of my best meals ever, um, and I think it closed <laughs> at the greenhouse. It was um, <laughs> it was Chef yes. Farrell Hirsch. Oh, at, my at gosh. I loved that meal at Cape Town. It's also a beautiful setting, but I yeah. think it closed. Did did Farrellhurst close greenhouse? I think it. I think or, it did close, but I think he's planning to open another one, if I'm not mistaken. Um, love that Cape food. Has, Cape Town has an incredible food scene, like in the winelands, but even just like just nooks and crannies and the and the street food. And yeah. if you go to Bokup, you have Cape Malay food, and then you you go to the wineland. It's like really Michelin and just incredible. And the scenery is out of this world. And then you're paying a fraction of the price. That, right. you that, that was always the great thing about yeah, eating like, in South Africa and <laughs> was just like the bill comes and it's like, oh, this is affordable. You know, like, um, do you spend any, I mean, have you, have you done much eating in Lagos? Lagos, I have. I love. I love a good. I think the best jollof rice is definitely like in La, like in Lagos. One country I definitely love to go to is Morocco. I would love to just dive into Morocco and just eat as much as I can and have tagine and like and just explore and just have like a really good time. Um, but I think the African food culture is just growing. It's it's insane. I mean, there's this. I I just can't remember his name and I follow him on Instagram so apologies but the I'm guessing Eric who... Adjapog my guy <laughs> no <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 sorry Eric, Eric Eric former top chef friend of the program um he is he's on a on a rocket ship with this cuisine he's yeah, he's a Ghanaian uh, American yeah, he's Ghanaian yes yes yeah. yes I know Eric but there's another chef in Rwanda I mean like oh, you wow. wouldn't think in Rwanda there was a chef who was doing some incredible things but like I'm like you could do the gorilla trail and then go and have like some incredible food you know, and so like I think the food on the continent is really just like on the up. And I think what I love about it is that there's such an interest about it as well, right? People are just intrigued. I mean, you know French food, you know Italian food, and so like this vibrant, you know, Mexican food, this vibrant bubbling of African culture, food, heritage is just on the up. And I'm so so lucky to be living in the present like moment where people are just wanting to know more about the continent. I mean, I have a proposal and it's for the 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 elves people and, and the top chef people, which is you need to host top chef 
like Africa All Stars. Because no, no, like, like, you have because it's and, and again, I'm just like, I, so I, it's a continent I just kind of spend a lot of time in, and it's like, like Ethiopia in and of itself <gasps> as just is its own insane food scene. Like I loved, <sighs> I got a chance to, I was hanging out in Kenya last summer, and like I was making chapati in a village kitchen, which actually is a kind of, you know, there's this wonderful Indian influence in uh, in the cuisine of Kenya. Obviously, Lagos, I'm with you. Like, I went to Yellow Chili for jollof rice two or three times. There's yeah. a wonderful Senegalese chef in Lagos yeah. named Pierre, is it Tiam? I don't know, uh, I don't know. He, he don't has know. a place a place called Nook. Like, you have, oh, obviously- Even Nigeria, you know, Michael, I think it's a leg bear. He's doing some incredible food out of Nigeria as well. Yeah. Just like this- no, like just hun- like numbers of chefs in the, actually, the my, my favorite meal in Lagos was actually this Cameroon lady who started a pop-up in Lecky where she just Love does it. Cameroon style croaker and you have to go and knock on her door and she just brings it out of her kitchen and then you take it back to your hotel. I love and it. I, it's like, but it's like what you said. Have you had suya? No. It's like, it's like the kebab and then it's got lots of spices and you on the, it's street food. Yes. And it's like, it's absolutely incredible. It's I, like I did. I did about six bowls of bitter leaf stew in five days. Nice. That's my. That's my jam. That 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 and eggsy and, and the eggsy. Oh, I, I love that. Love, and pepper um, soup. Yeah, it's. A, yeah. I, mean, I have. To, I have spice issues, so I have to be a little careful. But um, right. Uh, Eastern European stomach, but it is. Um, but I just would love to see you host. Like and like that. You could. I mean, you. It's just. There's so much. Um. There's so much global influence. There's yeah. so many kind of in terms of culinary autonomous regions like Ethiopia, which are kind of very distinct, but then you have yeah. like, again, the East Africa, you have um, the Arabian influence, you have North Africa, oh. obviously it's its own, it's its own game, including French influence coming there. Um, it would just be such a great, I just like, it is my favorite continent to eat in right now. And, um, but I just would, <laughs> you're hired. Would love to Lorna. See you Kevin just hired you to host top chef Africa. Thank Congratulations. You. I, I, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm excited. Well, I'm excited about it. <laughs> Uh, Lorna, so you uh, you recently, judging from your Instagram, <laughs> you spent some time with Gail at her house in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, first of all, can you tell people where they can follow you and get more of that content? I thought you were going to say, all- can you tell people exactly where she lives? So like, which is a really <laughs> no, bad idea. That no. is not what we were going to say, but um, I think we I think we do want to hear a little bit about Gail um, off the camera on Top Chef and what that was right. like and where yeah. they can find all the cool stuff that you're doing. Right. So you can follow me on Instagram, which is Lorna Maseko, L-O-R-N-A-M-A-S-E-K-O, um, or on Twitter, which is at Lorns, L-O-R-N-S underscore Maseko, same as uh, my Instagram page. Gail is incredible. Gail has actually like lived in South Africa for quite some time. So she, yes. it, it was like wild. Like Gail feels like my, my sister, you know? Uh, and so to go to her home and make like a very South African dessert, which is something that I grew up eating. She grew up eating. It just was, I felt like a 360 moment. It was absolutely incredible. She is just like the coolest, most humble, most loving person I have ever met. Like what you see is like, is is 10 times more in real life. Like so welcoming, has an incredible kitchen, might I add. <laughs> like, proper, like proper cute, proper like girly, love it. And she's just, she's just amazing. I love Gail. We do too. We, we we love Gail and we love having you on the show today. Thank you so much for stopping by. I know you're busy, uh, but enjoy your time in the United States. Thank and you. we can't wait to watch what you do next. Uh, that was an awesome episode of Top Chef. And I'm just sitting there just with popcorn, listening to you and Kevin wax poetic about African cuisine. So I, I can't wait to see and eat more of that, of that food.
<laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thanks so much for coming. Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about Butcher Box. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com slash dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. She is a delight. That was that was wonderful. Um, we packed in a lot of information. We had like a 30 minute window with her and it, we got through so much. But you know what? This is Top Chef World All-Stars. Even though we did a lot with Lorna, there's still much to discuss here. So Kevin, sorry to see Dawn get eliminated here. Yeah, it, it's been a really rough season for Dawn, um, even in two episodes. And it, and it wasn't strictly just the, you know, she was the victim of the of the Gabri water attack. Of, of 2022 um, in her kind of initial elimination challenge, but ended up on the bottom and not because of that, but because, you know, I, I think Aaron judgment featuring pastry uh, for a vegetable forward dish, and then kind of comes out, um, you know, on, on, on the, the quick fire, you know, finishes in the middle. Um, not entirely sure the quality of her bite, but certainly didn't win. And then made the decision to go with kanji, which kind of, I think the error there is, and far be it for me to to tell a, uh, a, a an expert on global cuisine, but but black rice tends to be nuttier, it tends to be starchier, it tends to be grainier. I think there's a reason that when you have congee at Cantonese style places, that it is often that very creamy white. I think relatively short grained, um, and, and again, I, I welcome people who know much more about rice and congee to, to 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 clarify. But I think there's a reason you don't see a lot of black congee. Is is it just it doesn't lend itself to that sort of texture? It takes forever to cook um, black rice, Kevin, and, um, and for exactly a, a chef with time management issues, probably yeah. not the best call. Um, it's interesting because I do think kanji is a great choice for a rice forward dish. And Dale certainly chose it and did short rib and pickled mushrooms. Uh, they seem to like it a lot. He did not place in the top three, but Dawn really just had trouble. And, um, 
and and as a result is the second contestant eliminated. I drafted her, um, I would say with moderate expectations, again, time management issues known, but uh, boy, it came for her early, Tom, this season. Yeah, she didn't hit her stride. Uh, that is a track and field uh, analogy there because she is an Olympian in track and field and she has had times where you're just questioning the decisions that she's making. Look, this is someone who has chronic time management issues in this competition. We saw it last year and she, she got it together, but she has readily acknowledged that this is a weak spot for her. This is like knowing if you are getting a last second shot and Joel Embiid can bludgeon you into the paint and his weakness is shooting a mid range jumper or a three point shot at the top of the key or in the corner. And you draw up a play for that weakness. And Joel Embiid is in the corner firing up an off balance three pointer. Like we know that she has top time management issues. She still made a choice to do the, the black rice and the, and the, and the Konji, which seems like it would take a lot of time. She has time management issues. It seemed like, um, she was setting herself up to fail or putting the bar way too high for herself. And I just felt bad watching it because we know that the redemption story that she had last season and here with Gabri and the mistake from last episode, um, she had a great opportunity to turn things around and she continued to make the same mistakes as she did in the past. And it just wasn't, wasn't her dish. I actually saw, um, you know, going into this this final judges table, I had written in my notes, Dawn's gone. Like even before they named who the top, the bottom three were. Um, and by the way, just as a quick interlude here, I really like the little switch they did in this episode where they brought out six chefs instead of bringing out the top three and then going back for the bottom three. I liked having that little guessing game of Padmas reading off six names and then we have to decide as, as the audience, Ooh, uh, Dawn is in there. Okay. Luciana, that is she going to be in the bottom three? Oh, she's going to be in the bottom three. And you kind of have this little game in your head where you get to kind of parse them out into their two camps and you have the top three and the bottom three out there. I actually really like that little twist, even though you kind of can figure out who's in the top and bottom three. I like that instead of bringing out, Oh, it's kind of, it loses that dramatic tension of like the first group that they bring out you can't, you can't hold that over them. That like you might be in the bottom, you might be eliminated. In the past seasons, if you were invited out first, you knew you would won. In this season, it seems like they bring out six, and so there's still a little bit of a question of who's in the top and who's in the bottom. Yeah, sort of the orchestration of kind of the eliminated and the winners is always sort of a. a I would say it's struggle, but it's something that needs to be choreographed. Uh, you know, it's like the famous chorus line at, at the very end where Michael, the, the, the choreographer, I think that's his name. Uh, you know, it's like, all right, the following people take a step uh, forward. Yeah. Everyone on the back line, you're in the show, right? Like there is that sort of, well, which group mm. are you in, right? And and and, um, and and the truth is, is that the the sort of the trope of the show is, is that obviously the, they, they announced the eliminated last. So they always do winners first. Now, I mean, you could switch that up, but what I liked about it is, I mean, at that point we all knew who was bottom and top because we'd heard their comments um, about the dishes, but it was interesting to watch the chefs themselves kind of look around saying, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm being called. Am I, is it for bottom and top? So I, that I totally agree with. Mm -hmm. It's always going to be so tough unless they're willing to sort of flip it week to week where, you know, and, and I suppose they could edit it uh, and adjust where, the viewers, we all see the eliminated last. Cause I think just in terms of production, you want, I mean, ultimately uh, it, it maybe says something about human nature. We're always far more interested in who's getting eliminated than who won. Um, you know, it's uh, in terms of a week to week, except at the very end, obviously. 
So it wasn't a surprise to you that Dawn was going home. I mean, Sylvia and Luciana both had not strong dishes uh, for different reasons. Uh, Luciana was just a bland uh, overcooked slash undercooked at the same time, which I didn't know was possible. Uh, really disappointing dish for her because I think um, for, as she said, at the very top of this uh, elimination challenge, like rice in Brazil is an absolute staple. And right. it was disappointing to see that. But Sylvia, with the vanilla salt choice to put that over the top, uh, I know that I know that Don, I, I thought Don was going home, but I think Sylvia was n- not too far behind. Yeah, and that's such a weird choice. And, and and by the way, that was sort of a depressing looking dish too. Like it was just like you know, white rice off to the side. Your curry, which is sort of, um, I mean, there, there's just no innovation. Um, I, I, of all my, I, I have a roster of of players. Obviously, that's the only one I'm just like like intensely unexcited about. Um, but to, to speak to my earlier point, also about just the, the quality of the competition. Um, one of the interesting things was is when you look at those three bottom dishes, the judges specifically said that all three of the protein components were decent. Like Sylvia's mm, curry yep. was fine. Like, oh, someone said I loved her stew, you know, and, and Dawn's oxtails were perfectly prepped and Luciana's fish, wonderfully done, right? Like, it's not like they're turning out tragic clunkers. Um, but I do think it's fair to say that if you're going to the pressure cooker on morning two for your kanji, you've lost. Like, you've lost. And again, I, I it, 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 it amuses me how somebody who is well aware of their weakness would specifically choose dishes that are intended essentially almost designed to highlight those weaknesses. Wow, let's take the grain of rice that takes the longest to cook and try to do a dish out of that. Oh, when you are the time management person uh, problem, right? Like like th- that, that to me is, um, it- it's a little confusing. Uh, there were so many interesting dishes that I loved. Um, I'm a huge, as I mentioned, Hennessy's chicken rice. I order it here um, from this joint up in East Pasadena. Anytime I can, San Gabriel Valley. There are a couple of great places. I love Dale's, um, the look of Dale's kanji with the short yeah. red pickle mushrooms, chili oil. I'd eat that all day. I love Nicole's. I know, like furikake rice with negitoro is great. I know the ratio is off. Um, and still, to me, the issue I would have ordered, though, is begonias. Like lemon rice, beets, pickled ginger, seaweed. Looks like something from outer space. I love it. Um, I also love a non-sweet dessert like a Thai rice pudding with um, watermelon puffed rice. By the way, that shows a lot, Tom. That's some yes. sophisticated work there is let's do a second rice component, watermelon puffed rice to give it texture. I mean, Tom, May, redraft. Where are you taking May, man? Man, May May's going top three for sure. Yeah. Um, and I loved her story, the the story of coming out to her mom when she was thirteen, and her mom being, you know, such a supporter of her, and just the the idea of, um, I don't know, it's just a it's it seems like an underdog story for her. And sure enough, we didn't draft her very high in our draft, and she's delivering. Um, and there there is something to the I think there is like a strong history of Thai chefs on this program. Uh, doing very well in the competition because of all those acid, um, savory dishes that that has a really wide range of applicability here on this show. So I think this is a really cool story of May doing a a rice pudding. Um, I think when you when you talk about risk. You want to do that when you have immunity. I mean, there, th- you yeah. want to try something different, and so that was really cool. And um, we didn't talk about this earlier. But I really thought Gabri's dish, um, when he goes to the Whole Foods and he has the little crisis and he asks May, 
hey, do you mind if I kind of dump my extra stuff onto your bill was I thought a very savvy move. I thought it was, it was maybe some people would call it cheating is that he, he, he basically asks, I, I, I'm going to owe you later. This is an mm-hmm. IOU. I am in debt to you my, may now because you've basically given me your, your cap space here, but he sought out the person who has immunity. Right. And so that is to me levels to Gabri's just m- mentality, his approach that he is maybe the most high value pick on the board. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it was smart. And, and by the way, and, and normally I, I, I have been preaching the last few seasons that I'd like to see a little more uh, uh, kind of go for the jugular competition strategy. But that's a case where I think May does the right thing because now she's got a chit, right? Like she's got a chit. Mm-hmm. Ain't no one going to be moving her pot, right? And least of all, he's not going to be dumping water in her thing. Uh, now, that said, I will say this about Gabrielle as, as my contestant and um, as clearly showing a lot this week is – I do think that there are still a red flag, right? Like, like you had to count on the kindness of a competitor to basically, like, what happens if we're down to five people? He has the genius idea to buy. The elbows start coming out, right? right. The sharp elbows. Like, yeah. Like, what yeah. happens if someone says no, or there's not enough for, or that I can only cover a few of your things, right? Like, it does still on a budget like that to choose to do a mole this early. Um, is still, you could argue a little bit of a red flag. Um, it was a risk clearly that was worth taking. I mean, he, he finished, I think it's fair to say second or third. Um, but yeah, from May's standpoint, I love it as a move. Like it doesn't cost you anything, right? Except that now you have a chit. Like now, you know, you end up in restaurant wars with this person and it gets a little chippy. Um, you know, you have a little leverage, I think. And so mm-hmm. I kind of like uh, team competition. There's something you want to, you know, whatever it might be. And so for me, it's great. Cost her nothing. By the way, I, I mean, I do feel like we buried the lead a little bit with Al, uh, with Elite because um, I thought it was very interesting with Ali and uh, Charbel. They both make very similar dishes, right? They both make a, uh, a Middle Eastern rice dish with nuts, uh, a, a cucumber mint, uh, or sorry, mint yogurt. Uh, sort of component. They are very similar dishes. The yep. idea of Ali to go to charcoal is such oh. a baller move. Um, and it was such a sophisticated move. Uh, I mean, smoking, getting smoke in a rice dish, when you, especially when you think of how just bland some of the losing dishes were. I mean, what was the knock on Luciana? Like, it was just sitting there, right? Um, I mean, white rice, even, uh, you know, my, my boy Buddha. Right. Like, hey, I love Hannity's chicken rice. Everybody loves it. It's a global classic. The rice ain't doing a lot in that dish. I mean, yeah, it has mm-hmm. to be beautifully soaked and 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 uh, yes, cooking rice and getting that fluffiness is key. But to add smoke as a component in a rice dish with lamb is just so, so smart. Like he's a force to be reckoned with, Tom. You want to talk about um like redraft? What, what, what position did you take him in? Remind me. I got him. I, my, he was you, my first pick. Right, right. He was so you picked so Buddha. No I went with Ali. Um, I couldn't quite pinpoint exactly what I like, so I defaulted to the fact that the he had a, a gajillion followers and he was a superstar coming into the competition. But the the fact that Kevin, it's not just that he smoked his dish; it's that he had to do a makeshift smoker. The MacGyver aspect of that. Yes, we talk about like what you need to do on Top Chef to succeed. A lot of that is 
you have to kind of improvise on the fly. And he's doing this smoker with charcoal and tinfoil with the dish. I wasn't quite understanding the mechanics of it. I don't need to know because he's on my team and he's winning. And that was awesome. And they wowed, they were wowed by his, um, his rudimentary, just out of nowhere, creating a smoker um, at the table. So I thought this was an awesome performance from Ali and uh, justifying my high pick. He's got 10 points this week. Um, Charbel in the middle. Same with Begonia here, even though she had an outstanding dish. Sarah with the everything bagel dish. Um, you know, it seemed like she she had a very strong dish in the eyes of Lorna. And I thought, you know, everyone else in the middle had good dishes that on any other occasion might've been on the edge of being in the top three, but yet it did seem to me that there was a clear demarcation of Dawn, Luciana and Sylvia with their bottom three dishes. And you know what? Luciana has to really bring it here, um, in episode three, but I, I'm really digging this, this season, Kevin. I really like the, the personalities. I like that, um, you know, you, you don't have that hometown bias where the Americans are like, giving them a little bit of extra credit here because um, Padma, Tom and Gail are hailing from Top Chef America. At Dawn goes home pretty early and goes to Last Chance Kitchen. We'll see what happens there and break it down next week. Um, but we got some drama. We got some high quality yeah. dishes and we had a wonderful uh, co-host or I guess a, a guest judge in Lorna. This is off to a strong start. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, contestants I would be concerned about. Um, let's do our consent. Uh, Victoire hasn't shown much. Amar yep. has been disappointing. Uh, I didn't think, by the I, I thought he had the least appetizing looking Ritz cracker, by the way, just goopy. Um, not a lot of technicality. Uh, and I'm an Amar guy. We go to Vaca every time we go down to South coast. So like, I'm, I'm a huge yeah, fan a of Amar's. Fight. Yeah. yeah but, but, but like, yep. he hasn't showed me much. Um, Sylvia, again, I don't play the, uh, polls aren't rice people like tough. This is global. Like you're on Top Chef World All Stars. Sorry, uh, rice is just kind of one of those global yep. staples. Um, you know, and then other than that, like I, uh, you Tom's know, really impressive. I really like his dishes. I think Tom's impressive. I think Dale's impressive. I really like my team. I think Nicole shows a lot, and yep. and I think she's really competent. I mean, um, Sarah's shown. I mean, it's just like. Um, by the way, I would be a little concerned about Luciana. Um, her cassava, sure. her cassava was nothing to write home about. Didn't look like, I mean, and look, I appreciate the cassava's placement in, in Brazilian culture. Um, she didn't show a hell of a lot this week. Um, you know, and you could argue her finest moment in the show so far was the, uh, scallops aguachile, um, with, uh, Gabri in the, in the, in the first quick fire, but, um, you know, not, not showing a hell of a lot yet. So I, I'd be a little concerned. But it's just, again, the median chip, yet she executed her fish perfectly, even in her bottom three dish, right? Like, like this is a really strong competition. And um, uh, I'm looking forward to week three. Closing thoughts, Tom. I got to go to Africa. That's it. It's a great, great food continent. It is just, uh, it's just like, it's even, it's like half the world. It's like even like saying it's a continent. I mean, it's, it's seven different places. It's 20 different places. It's amazing. Um, you should go. Uh, get the on Ethiopian air. R-D-U-I-A-D-I-A-D-A-D-D, man. That is, that is your routing. For Tom Haberstroh, this is Kevin Artovitz. This is Pack Your Knives. Pack Your Knives.